It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 2nd, 2010. We are glad that you are here tonight and we are glad to be with you. Uh, if you want to participate in the program tonight, the number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me tonight. Dad, uh, check that microphone there. And, uh, I yeah, better get you, that you up, get close up close to my face. There. Yeah, I need to hide behind that anyway well, just for looks. Well, but uh, uh, it's great to be with you, Jacob. Looking forward to our study tonight. We have a sort of an unusual topic, and I wonder if some of our uh, listeners maybe don't even know what we're talking about. I know others do, but we're going to talk tonight about what is often referred to as the 70 AD doctrine. We're going to get into it and do some defining of terms and try to understand what is being taught and what the biblical position is. Uh, uh, so it's, it's a little bit of a difficult subject, maybe a little more of an involved subject than we often deal with on the virtual Bible study, but I think it's an important one. All right, and since it is so involved, we've brought in an expert tonight on the program. Yeah, we've got Jeff Smith from Athens, Alabama, who's on the phone with us. Jeff, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Greg, good to see you and Jacob again. I'm looking at you on the on the computer screen. We're sorry for that. Good. Yeah, sorry. well, you don't you don't have to torture yourself there if you don't want to. But uh, we do we do have an audio only feed for you if you're having trouble. If anyone's having trouble with the video, other than it is turning your stomach, if your uh, if your video con- if your internet connection is slow, you can check out our audio only feed. But uh, Jeff, thank you for uh, joining us on the program tonight. You've done some study on this doctrine and. Um, and presented some lessons on it. Uh, it, it, it is a, a fairly widely held uh, uh, position, isn't it, Jeff? Well, it can be. Uh, back in May of last year, the uh, elders where I preach asked me to uh, uh, do some studying on this and, and preach some lessons on it. Some of the churches in Limestone County, the elders here got a little bit of an inkling that it may be starting to cause some trouble among the brethren, so they asked me to preach uh, on this topic, and I had to do a lot of reading. Lessons on it in May of last year's. Well, we got a little, we got a goofy connection there, Jacob. Goofy connection. Are you there, Jeff? Yes, I'm here. Okay, okay. Uh, Jeff. Uh, now, you know, you you mentioned about problems. Is this this is more than just an academic discussion? This this really affects our faith uh, in a broad sense, doesn't it? If we accept this doctrine. Well, it does because I think it denies a lot of basic biblical truths about the kingdom, about the second coming, about the resurrection. All those uh, topics are very uh, critical and right at the core of our faith, as you said. So it's important that we be able to refute uh, this doctrine, which I believe to be totally erroneous. All right. Well, we want to get into that. Before we do, Jacob, give some contact info, how people can get involved. The, in the number program. to call is 877. It's toll free. 381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. Or you can join in the chat room with other listeners if you're watching our video feed from Ustream. 
TV tonight. Earlier today, you sent out some questions to our update list. That's right. As we always do on Thursday, we send out questions to our update list to notify you about our topic and to start getting some feedback. And we ask some questions about this 70 AD doctrine. And again, my guess is that some people are in doubt about what we're talking about. Others, I'm sure, know about it. But I ask you, have you personally studied this doctrine? Do you know of others who've been influenced by it? Uh, that was one question. Second question, do you think that the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. accomplished the full and final fulfillment of biblical prophecy? Why or why not? Do you think that 70 A.D. was the ultimate and final coming of Christ? Why or why not? And number four, is there an end of time still to come? Now, when we talk about 70 A.D., Jeff... I think most everybody recognizes that 70 A.D. was the year in which the Roman armies defeated Jerusalem and effectively obliterated it. Uh, and the Bible does talk about God sending a judgment upon Jerusalem and upon the Jewish nation, and he used the Roman armies to accomplish that purpose. We, we are in agreement that 70 A.D. was a significant historic year, right? Yes, absolutely. God used the Romans as the judgment tool as he had other nations throughout history. He used the Babylonians to judge uh, uh, Judah. He used the Assyrians to judge Israel. So the fact that he used um, an, an army to, to uh, judge uh, uh, the Jewish state, if you will, for their rejection of the Messiah really shouldn't surprise us. Exactly right. But the, uh, the question of our study tonight is, did that accomplish everything prophesied in the Bible, and was that the end? Was that the final coming of Christ? No words, we'll define these terms here as we go along, but the idea of a coming in judgment, was that the final coming in judgment of our Lord, and uh, did it fulfill everything the Bible? Perhaps we ought to just give an overview. Jeff, could you give us a quick synopsis of what this doctrine uh, purports and, uh, and the view of, of those who hold it? Right, well... Uh, and I had sent you all some charts. Uh, Greg had asked me to do that earlier, and I, I did that. And I think we do we have those handy? Yes, and I think we're going to get them up on the screen, too. Okay. We're going to do that, okay. Anthony? Is that going to work? Okay. Anthony's at the controls tonight, and he, and he had to reformat a little bit to get him compatible with our screen, but I think we're ready. Okay, Jeff. Okay. okay. Well, one of the things I think we need to establish first is, as we've already said a couple of times, we need to define our terms and identify what's being talked about. Uh, maybe when someone is, is looking at this doctrine, um, it's, it's uh, sometimes called realized eschatology, and that's a couple of fancy words. Eschatology would be the study of last things or the end of times, and realized uh, gives the idea that it's already been accomplished. So uh, if, if you don't see the title uh, AD 70 doctrine, but you see the title realized eschatology, then someone, if they believe this, what they're saying is, is that uh, the, the, the end of time or the end of all things, the second coming, the resurrection, the judgment, uh, that's already taken place, and it took place um, in uh, uh, the first century in the uh, year A.D. 70. So, don't, so, so people shouldn't be turned off by uh, sort of unusual words there. That it, it Realized right. eschatology means that, that things concerning the end time have already happened. That's correct. So, so when we read about uh, Christ's coming again, that's, that's we should not look at that as a future event. We should look at that as something that's already occurred, according to this that's doctrine. That's correct. Right. Okay. Right. But but it, it gets even a little more tricky than that because they they don't mean that in the literal sense. They mean that figuratively. And and you know some of the things that have to be true for this doctrine to be correct, it really stretches the imagination. That's why it's one of the most confounding doctrines that men have devised to be understood. And and 
some things, I mean, you have to you have to uh, really stretch yourself to believe it, those who would adhere to this doctrine. Sometimes it's also called the Max King Theory. Um, he wrote a couple of books back in uh, 1970, and there was a revised version of the Spirit of Prophecy, and um, I think it was like 2002 when that was uh, redone. So sometimes Max it's King is a preacher. Max King. Yeah, Max King is a preacher uh, up in the Ohio Valley. Yes, that's correct. And right. uh, and he he has promoted this view and has become pretty well known. His name is very closely associated with this right. uh, 70 A.D. doctrine or this reali- realized eschatology. Right. Uh, Jeff, don't they also use uh, an expression called preterist? Uh, pr- they are preterists uh, in regards to these views? Well, uh, that may be the case, Greg. I don't, I'm not sure about that. You, I would uh, not be able to speak to that uh, as much as I can the other things, but that very well may be the case. I, okay. I did not do any reading about that. Okay, all right. See, you've already stumped me. Uh, well, <laughs> I, this is this is really, I, I think it is uh, uh, a, a very s- sort of confusing subject because a lot of people have different views not everybody holds to all of the same tenets in regards to this theory, right. and so when you, when we talk with various people, there, there may be some who believe some aspects and not others. We're not trying to pigeonhole everybody and say that everybody who has some view of 70 A.D. is necessarily holding to all that Max King or others have taught on that subject. But we're just going to try to talk about the main components of this right. this general right. theory. And uh, identify them, and then also see if we can discover what the Bible teaches, what the truth okay. of the Bible is on these subjects. We ought to thank uh, John in Edmond, Oklahoma, for defining the term preterism for us. As you referenced, he uh, goes to uh, Wikipedia and says, Preterism is an interpretation of Christian eschatology, which holds that most or all of the biblical, biblical prophecies concerning the end times refer to events which have already happened in the first century. And uh, so uh, preterism, I think they're also referred to as full preterist, or they believe all Bible prophecy has been complete. There is no Bible prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. Okay. Okay. Uh, very good. Thanks, John, in Oklahoma, for your for your uh, contribution there in the chat room. Uh, if you're listening and you're not in the chat room yet, you can go there. You can observe it. Uh, anybody can observe the th- comments that are being made there, but if you want to participate, you can get a, uh, a free account there uh, in that chat room, get you a username and password. It doesn't cost you anything. There's no trouble to it, and you can begin to participate there. All right, Jeff, uh, we've talked about the, the term and basic tenets of the doctrine. What are some of the, of the main beliefs then that those would hold who would hold to uh, okay. this doctrine? Okay, uh, before we start talking about some of the main beliefs, I'd like to look at one New Testament passage that I think sort of helps set the tone for what we can talk about tonight. It's in Second Peter chapter 3, and I want to read verses 11 and 12, just to sort of get the ball rolling. I'll be reading from the New American Standard. Uh, Peter says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, and he began that discussion back in verse 10 about the passing away of the elements with intense heat. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? That phrase in verse 12, um, that really ought to describe the great anticipation every disciple has, looking for the coming of the day of God. 
So imagine we we would live all of our lives in the kingdom if we're New Testament Christians. We serve the Lord, and we we anticipate this great day when our Lord finally comes in the in the clouds, and then we finally realize, oh, we missed it. It came in A.D. 70. Think how demoralizing that would be to believers in Jesus Christ. And that's really one of the big problems, uh, not so much textually, but just uh, common sense-wise. You know, we're, we're taught to look for the coming of Christ, and now we're told to believe, oh, it's already happened. And that's just such, such a blow to faith, it seems to me. So that's one of the main problems with this doctrine is it just it, it uh, flies right in the face of common sense as well as biblical uh, t- uh, you know, uh, you're the passage you brought up there in Second Peter reminds me of what Paul said in Second Timothy chapter four verse eight. Uh, our uh, reward is contingent upon loving Christ's appearance. He says in Second Timothy four verse eight, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. So, how can I look forward to any kind of reward, uh, Jeff, in heaven? If contingent upon that is, I've got to be looking forward to, as you said, and uh, hastening to and uh, loving his appearing, but it's already come, so I'm just waiting right. for something that's never going to happen. Right. If, it, if this doctrine be true, then, then we're all, we've all been hoodwinked. That's right. Well, you know, uh, I found some interesting quotes from some early Christian uninspired writers, Jeff, uh, along this line. Uh, these were men who obviously lived and wrote after 70 A.D., uh, for instance, Ignatius was born in A.D. 50. He was martyred in the year 107. He was said to have been a disciple of the Apostle John Polycarp, lived a few years later, also said to have been a disciple of John. Uh, their writings would be significant because they wrote after 70 A.D., after the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. Um, but their writings clearly indicated that they were looking forward to uh, the resurrection and the eternal kingdom. And it was part of their hope. For instance, here's a quote from Polycarp in his epistle to the Philippians. He exhorted the people to faithfully do service to the one, he says, who cometh as a judge of quick and dead, whose blood God will require of them that are disobedient to him. Now he that raised him from the dead will raise us also if we do his will and walk in his commandments and love the things which he loved. In that same epistle to the Philippians by Polycarp, he wrote, For if we be well-pleasing unto him in this present world, we shall receive the future world also, according as he promised us to raise us from the dead. So disciples who lived in the immediate time frame after 70 A.D. were still looking forward to a a resurrection, and they still had that hope that... The uh, 70, D, 70 A.D. advocates suggest was fulfilled had already been fulfilled. Right, exactly. So even from uninspired men, we see that this doctrine is not as old as the first century. All right, we need to take a quick break, and then when we come back from the break, we'll continue with Jeff Smith from Athens, Alabama, as we talk about uh, the 70 A.D. doctrine or realized eschatology. Uh, we want to hear from you on the program tonight at 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. We'll pay the bill tonight. Or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. You can also join in the chat room with other listeners tonight. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? 
generally people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program too. Gracias. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Welcome back into the virtual Bible study tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com as we talk about the 70 AD doctrine. We have Jeff Smith on the phone from Athens, Alabama, and we're discussing how this doctrine contradicts the teachings of the Scripture. We've, one of the questions we put out real quick before we get a little further into this, I ask the question to our listeners, have you personally studied this doctrine and do you know others who have been influenced by it? Keith, uh, in is he in Gallatin, Tennessee? Uh, he's in Hendersonville. Hendersonville, I believe, I believe that's mm-hmm. right. He wrote, I've not personally studied this, but there's nothing new about it. There were those in the first century who believed that Jesus was either not coming back or had already done so. The purpose for which Paul found it necessary to discuss this in the Thessalonian letter was to assure these Christians that the second coming of Christ was not yet. I suppose those who teach this believe that Revelation has to do with the 70 A.D. destruction of the temple, yet all evidence supports that John was elderly and that this takes place during the reign of Domitian. I don't know that I really totally agree with that statement, but uh, we'll let that stand. We, we, we've not really gotten seriously into the dating of the book of Revelation, but that would be a question that uh, that I would have with his statement. He says, if his coming was in 70 A.D., how do the proponents explain that evil is still in existence? Are we indeed in hell right now? That's what Keith says. Uh, our friend Mike, who lives here in Columbia, Tennessee, has sent us a, uh, a massive document, Jacob, uh, more than a hundred scriptures. And now Mike is he, he says, I'm a proponent of the fulfilled eschatology, and he gives reasons. He talks about New Testament time references. The book of Revelation makes predictions, he says. And then he gives more than a hundred scriptures that he says are time statements in the New Testament that suggest that all of the inspired writers were looking for an imminent return of Christ. There's obviously no way, and Mike even mentions, uh, he says that he, he knows that there's no way we could cover all of that. And this, I don't want to do an injustice to his long efforts to... Uh, Send that to us. I'm going to keep that. But uh, Mike is one who has studied it and who believes it. And then I got an email from Brad in uh, Athens, Alabama. You may know Brad down there, Jeff. Uh, he's, he uh, says um, that the preacher where he preaches, and we know him, John Gibson, uh, has done a series. And he suggests that the PowerPoints and the study materials are available. I'll give you the website, pepperroadchurch.org. 
pepperroadchurch.org, go to their sermons, and you'll find three that J- John Gibson did on that subject. Uh, he says, Brad goes on to say, I, I do know some folks, one man in particular, who believes this doctrine, and he has influenced his family. Um, he says so. It is a thing that uh, lots of people are studying this, and there's and and unfortunately, it has been a divisive thing uh, in various places, and that's unfortunate. So it's certainly worthy of our discussion. Now, Jeff, as we consider the doctrine, it uh, contradicts a lot of what the Bible teaches about the kingdom, doesn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. Um, <clears throat> if we look at one of the charts that uh, that I sent you, this. This is one of the main beliefs, and we're going to look at five uh, topics tonight. The first one being the kingdom. Uh, what I read uh, in my studies, the proponents of the A.D. 70 doctrine will say that, well, it, uh, the church or the kingdom did begin on Pentecost, but not with power and glory, and that's a distinction that is made in their literature. So you can turn to Acts chapter 2, and you can read about the beginning of the New Testament church, as we would believe that it teaches. Uh, so, But it was not fully set up or fully established until A.D. 70. So just one of the basic questions I would have is, then what about those interim 40 years? Was it incomplete? Was it imperfect? Was the was the New Testament church just sort of languishing for, for 40 years, not uh, not able to do what the Lord intended it uh, to do when he, if the course, was prophesied in the, in the Old Testament by the coming of the kingdom? So passages like Ephesians 3 uh, and Ephesians 1, uh, that, that would be on the next uh, slide, would clearly teach us that the, that, that the Lord... Uh, when he began to reign in Acts 2, uh, he, he did have power. The church did come with power and with glory. And that certainly goes right against uh, other other uh, statements that uh, A.D. 70 proponents make. Passages, again, uh, Paul equates the church and the kingdom in Colossians. The passages listed there on the chart. And uh, uh, Jesus himself said that he would be coming uh, in power, Matthew 26 and verse 64. Now, I'm going through these rather hurriedly, I know, but these are just statements that we can pull out from the New Testament that at least on the surface or on the face of them initially show us that the kingdom uh, is not as A.D. 70 proponents would say that it is, that it, that it, it did start in A.D. 30, uh, on the day of Pentecost, as just as God said that it would. And, but, and so th- this doctrine would say that then for that period of some 40 years, uh, Christ was not in rule, but as you mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse, 19, or verse uh, 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So at the time that Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 1, Christ was in that position where he was far above anything here on this earth. He was in uh, control at that time. He was not in some subservient role to the Jewish uh, religion. Well, uh, even uh, in the, the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, this Peter said, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Uh, so he suggested that Jesus was on his uh, reigning over his kingdom uh, on the uh in fulfillment of the promises, uh, the prophetic promises of the Old Testament even made to David. So uh, I think a lot of those statements, uh, I, you'd have to go some to some lengths to try and prove that there was something that hadn't happened yet 
starting at the day of Pentecost all the way through 70 AD, that there was something lacking, that the kingdom wasn't all that it was supposed to be. Somehow it wasn't fulfilled yet. Uh, I think a really important verse that you've mentioned there, uh, Jeff, is in Colossians. We use this verse a lot of times when we're talking to people who believe in premillennialism. Uh, Colossians 1.13 says, He hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Past tense verbs suggesting that Christians living in that time period, and this was a time period prior to 70 AD, were already in the kingdom, uh, and yes. the kingdom was in reality. Absolutely. Now, I want to and, jump... I'm sorry. Well, but down in Colossians 1, 17 and 18, then Paul equates the kingdom with the church. So it's all synonymous. The kingdom is the church. The kingdom the church, they were all started in AD 30, not AD 70. Exactly right. I want to jump ahead a little bit in your outline, Jeff, to uh, okay, a problem that this presents with us, uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper, uh, because yes. there's a lot of uh, instructions around when the Lord's Supper was to be in effect, and uh, the, this position really makes it impossible for us to be partaking of the Lord's Supper today. I would agree with you, Jacob, and this is this is an example of one of the, I guess we could say it's a, it's a giant conundrum that, that that uh, proponents would have, if this doctrine be true, it presents some real problems in terms of understanding passages like, example, in Matthew 26, verses uh, 26 through 29, in Matthew's account of the, uh, of the Lord uh, instituting the supper, I'll read uh, Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had given a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So listening to what the Lord says here, if I understand this properly, that the saints, the disciples of the Lord, were not to start uh, eating the supper, eating the, the bread, drinking the cup, until the kingdom would be established. So if that be the case, and this doctrine be true, then the supper could not be partaken of until or uh, um, until after A.D. 70. Okay. That's one half of it. Yeah. Now give us the now, other half. From, I think now, you're going to go to 1 Corinthians 11. 11. Yeah. 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 1 Corinthians 11 would be the other half of this problem. And then when, uh, when, when Paul writes, uh, obviously addressing the problems that Corinth was having with, with the supper, that starts there in verse uh, 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the other half of this is that this supper is to only be eaten until the Lord comes. Well, if this doctrine, A.D. 7 doctrine, be true, it cannot be eaten after A.D. 7. So putting those two pieces of the puzzle together, you, you, wouldn't have, you wouldn't have partaken of it until 70 A.D., but at 70 A.D., then, there wouldn't be any reason to partake of it. So when can you eat the supper? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in all honesty, the, the people that I've talked to who... who lean in favor of this doctrine, I think they admit that as one of their biggest difficulties to explain. 
Uh, and I think it is. I, I mean, it's good to be honest. When we, if we take a position, we have to we have to uh, both proclaim its strengths and its weaknesses, and that's yeah. a real weakness of this position. And I have talked to some who admit that that is something difficult to explain. All right, we're at the bottom of the hour. We need to go ahead and take a break and get this week's bullet point. We've talked about the fact that they believe the kingdom didn't come in full power, was not in full effect until eighty seventy. And uh, we'll get into some other beliefs that they have. The next one we want to talk about on the other side of the break is the second coming. They believe that the second coming occurred in 70 A.D. and there will not be another coming of Christ. Uh, It's over. It's done. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Imagine yourself walking into a drugstore to have a prescription filled. You hand the pharmacist the form from your doctor and then watch in amazement as he throws it in the wastebasket without even reading it. Then, without reading the label, he hands you a bottle of pills. By now you've gotten your nerve up and you ask, man, what are you doing? Well, the answer is, I'm giving you some medicine. You respond, but you didn't even read the prescription and you didn't even look at the label on these pills. It doesn't matter, he says. Medicine is medicine. One pill is as good as another. No, sir, you object. I want the pills that my doctor prescribed and no others. Thinking about that, you realize that there's very little chance that you would ever visit that drugstore again. Common sense says that this is no way to handle the important business of your physical health. Why not allow the same kind of common sense to help us in the far more important realm of spiritual things? For some reason, folks have decided that anything goes in religion. Join the church of your choice has become more than a mere slogan. It's the rule that most people live by. One church is just as good as another, we are told. How can this possibly be so? Jesus said, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, Matthew 15:9. Note that the Lord says that some worship is vain, meaning worthless or good for nothing. He goes on to explain why it's worthless, because it follows the commandments of men rather than the will of God. Are you sure that one church is as good as another? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. This program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're uh, unfamiliar with what the College View Church of Christ is all about, visit our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com or come and visit with the College View Church of Christ at your earliest convenience. Our meeting times and locations can be found on our website. We're glad you're listening to the program tonight and we encourage your comments at 877-381-4567 or email them to questions at collegeview.com. You can also join in the chat room with other listeners tonight and we'll be able to turn off the moderation so you can chat, you can chat there without uh, a username tonight if you'd like and join in the chat room. One thing that I wanted to mention, Jacob, and we might as well do this right here while we're doing a little housekeeping. Uh, we're going to try to build an, an email list of people who want to receive a phone text message text on your message cell phone. That's, that's right. Now, we think that it would be a great help if people were reminded five to ten minutes before the virtual Bible study starts, because I think a lot of times uh, it just slips up on you and you forget. Time right. gets away. Mm-hmm. So if you would like to get a text message on your cell phone uh, just five or ten minutes before the virtual Bible study starts each week, uh, send us to to our 
email address, uh, questions at collegeview.com. Send us your phone number and your and your cell phone carrier. We need to know that too. So it's uh, be one two three four five six seven eight nine ten at. I mean, just whatever your cell phone carrier. Tell, is. tell us who your That's cell phone is. They, they, they all have a unique little uh, uh, domain name there to tack on the end of that, but it, we can find Sprint, that. Sprint, Verizon, whatever yeah. you're. You on. just tell us your your cell phone number and your cell phone carrier, and we're going to try to build that list and start sending out some reminders just before the virtual Bible study starts. All right, so send us that if you're interested in being updated via text message. We're talking with Jeff Smith on the virtual Bible study tonight about the 70 A.D. doctrine. And, Jeff, we talked about the fact that it really uh, contradicts what the, the Bible teaches about the kingdom and when this kingdom was established. And it also changes what uh, we have commonly believed about the second coming of Christ. The, these, believe, these people believe that uh, the second coming has already occurred. Can you explain that? Right. And that's, and that's another example of how they have to redefine their terms to fit their doctrine. So uh, every mention of the second coming uh, is figuratively fulfilled in A.D. 70. Christ, uh, he came, but just not visibly. He came figuratively to, uh, to spiritually judge uh, Judaism because it had been oppressing the, uh, the church. Now, only one passage that I know of actually mentions a, a quote, second coming. Hebrews 9 and uh, verse 28, it, it says that the Lord will appear a second time. So all other mentions in the scripture of his coming, um, we have to let the context tell us whether that is a, a literal return and, you know, at the end of time as we would believe it, or some kind of a, a coming in, in a, a judgment as the prophets and the New Testament mentions that as well. Such as Matthew 24 is one such example of, uh, of his coming in judgment. So a coming, the, the, the expression, a coming of the Lord, suggests the idea of judgment, but it does not necessarily mean the final coming and judgment. And so we, right. we, we can find some places where it talks about the Lord will come or the Lord has come or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to let the context determine for us whether that was uh, some figurative or right. literal and final uh, reference. Yes, obviously. All right. So, when we go to passages like... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? No, go ahead, Jeff. I, the, the point okay. of it is okay. that they're saying that... Uh, and, and we're not disputing that the Lord came in 70 A.D. There was a coming of the Lord in yes. 70 A.D. There was a God sent a judgment. Uh, and it was a, it was a powerful and ultimate judgment against the Jewish nation. We, uh, we are in full agreement about that. The question is, was that it then? And that, and the, and, and that, is that all that there is? There's nothing more to look forward to. Right. And like, for example, one of their favorite passages, Matthew 24, verses uh, 29 and 30, especially verse 30 when Jesus said, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and uh, a great glory, quoting the prophecy of Daniel there. So you're, you're right, Greg, to, for us to say that the Lord did not come in AD 70 would be incorrect. But it's uh, it's what what you mean when you say he he came. Right, exactly. Now the idea that 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 figurative coming of the Lord in A.D. seventy, as is described in Matthew twenty four, Jesus was prophesying and predicting that 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 coming in seventy A.D. Now, why why could that not have been the full and final coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, for several passages, and one that. Uh, comes to mind is in Acts chapter 1, 
when Jesus is is uh, uh, ascending, right before the start of the kingdom, the next chapter, um, after he says his final words, there he gives the disciples the charge, if you will, through verse um, eight. And in verse nine, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way. So did Jesus leave the earth figuratively? No, he left literally visibly. He left the earth literally and visibly. And the angel said here, he will come in the exact same way as you've watched him go up into heaven. We've got a question. So, We've got a question about that, Jeff, in the chat room. Uh, an anonymous listener asked, "Did they visibly see him go into heaven?" This listener says, "No, they didn't." But I think Acts chapter one and uh, verse nine says that they did literally see him go up into heaven out of their sight. It says they were looking on while he, he was lifted up while they were looking on. I don't know how much plainer the text could be. Okay. And then, and then the other one, and you mentioned it in your slides, but First Thessalonians chapter four is pretty clear. Uh, yes. It says, uh, talking about those who had died, and it says, if we believe this is First Thessalonians four fourteen, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say. Uh, unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, there's that expression, coming of the Lord, shall not prevent him, or not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That talks about... Uh, obviously a visible coming of the Lord, and that the living saints, those who are still alive, the dead will rise first, but those who are still alive will also be caught up into the clouds. Uh, you know, it, that hasn't happened. And so, right. and if the Lord's coming is figuratively, then that verse can't take place. Exactly right. And, you know, it, or the other alternative, if, if we were to say that that did happen, in 70 A.D., why do we not have some historic reference to it? Why, why didn't even some secular historians note such an incredible phenomenon? Right. And they Absolutely. didn't. And there's not any such and, reference. And, Jeff, uh, it also says there in First Thessalonians chapter 4 that those who were faithful at the time that Jesus comes, and if it came in, in 70 A.D., every faithful Christian at that time was removed from this earth. So we got a problem then. We got a problem with with what the, the 70 A.D. advocates are saying concerning the second coming. Now, closely connected with that, Jeff, we got to talk about the resurrection. Right. The uh, 70 A.D. advocates will say the resurrection was not literal; it was figurative. That sort of goes, as you said, hand in hand with the figurative coming. Uh, resurrection's already taken place; it's already happened. And the, the main idea they, they uh, state is that Christianity was resurrected out of Judaism when Jerusalem um, uh, was destroyed. In other words, and, the, the, the and, church had been persecuted and oppressed so much that when Jerusalem was destroyed, it was like God resurrecting the church out of, out of its torment and out of all the persecution right. it had been suffering. Yes, right, right. So when they would turn to resurrection passages, and we'll see some on the chart here in a second, like 1 Corinthians 15, the body that's mentioned in such resurrection passages, they say, well, that body is the church. That's the body that was raised. 
but you keep reading, say, like the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, it's very obvious that Paul was talking about a literal bodily resurrection of, of uh, men, not the resurrecting of a, of a collective group or a kingdom or the church. Exactly right. 1 Corinthians 15 has a longer passage. We don't have time to read it all. I think a lot of our listeners right. will be familiar with 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about uh, us being changed, uh, our, our bodies, our physical bodies being changed and uh, the corruptible taking on incorruption. Talking about our corruptible physical bodies taking on an incorruptible form in order to inherit heaven. Uh, but that's a long passage there in 1 Corinthians 15 and an important one in, in consideration of this doctrine. But I tell you one that you've got mentioned in your charts, Jeff, that I think has to be dealt with is John chapter 5, especially verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, The hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good into the resurrection of life and they that have done evil into the resurrection of damnation. Now, again... Uh, you're going to have to seriously redefine terms to get around this passage. This passage seems clearly literal. It talks about the graves being opened, the righteous dead being resurrected, but also the wicked dead being resurrected, all being resurrected at the time of the judgment. Well, if that happened, now, if, if, if that happened in 70 A.D., and therefore we do not look forward to such a time uh, in the future, uh, my, my question is the same that I made a minute ago. Why do we not have the Bible? The Bible doesn't talk about it, but uh, you know, if, if it's argued everything in the Bible, everything in the New Testament was written before seventy A.D., therefore it wouldn't well, be in the Bible. Let's, let's be clear about something, Greg. I don't know of any seventy A.D. advocate that will say that what you read from John five took place in A.D. seventy. I don't think that's what they're saying. They're saying that the resurrection was of the was of the spiritual body of the church. The better question to ask is, if Christ came, as they say he did, figuratively in A.D. 70, then when will the events in John 5 take place? Is that right? and especially, two especially the resurrection of the wicked. You know, you could, yes. if you wanted to, to make it figurative, you could suggest that figuratively the resurrection of the righteous, you know, right. uh, from, from their persecution at the hands of the Jews. But what's this resurrection of the wicked? And it says it will happen in the same hour. The hour is coming in the which mm-hmm. these things will take right. place. And right. I, I, I think that's a question that just, uh, there, there's just some problem with that. Well, it cries out for an answer, and one that, that would be supported, of course, yeah. by the New Testament. I, I like that expression. It cries out for an answer. In other words, we, that needs to be answered. Several of these points we're making need to be answered. If this doctrine be true, these questions have to be answered. Yes. Uh, quickly, uh, Jeff, as we go on, uh, uh, you talked about uh, the judgment. Uh, the, the judgment mm-hmm. was coming, and this is a this is a major uh, ten, uh, tenet of their doctrine. Right, right. Again, they would say it's, it's taken place already in AD seventy. This is the judgment that Jesus foretold of. Well, well Jesus did foretell of a judgment in Matthew twenty four, but was it the final judgment that's spoken of uh, elsewhere in the Scripture? And and uh, if we put the chart up on the screen, well, we have listed on the chart, and it's not an exhaustive list, numerous references to a judgment uh, in the Bible, both Old um, and uh, New Testament. Ecclesiastes 12, the book ends with, with Solomon talking about that God will bring all these things into judgment. The prophet Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they, they mentioned uh, judgments against uh, nations. Then the passages in Matthew and Romans and Second Corinthians, Hebrews 9, 2 Timothy 4, the passage that we mentioned earlier. So the, the question is, 
about the judgment and realized eschatology. Who is to be present at the final judgment? And I think the Bible is pretty clear. It's all peoples. It's all nations. But who was it that was judged in A.D. 70? Right. It was, well, it was only the Jewish nation. That's right. You know, that's kind of interesting. The, the, the preterists teach that this judgment of 70 A.D. was against the Jews. But this, the day of judgment that Jesus spoke of, there will be others there. For instance, in Matthew 11, verses, verse 22, he said it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the mm-hmm. day of judgment than for you Jews. That's who he was talking to, the, the Jewish right. leadership. Right. Um, the citizens of Nineveh will be present on that judgment day, Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 41. So it wasn't just the Jews, even pagans, the, 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 the pagan people of Nineveh will be present in that day of judgment. But the 70 A.D. theory suggests that the judgment was only against the Jewish nation. But Jesus said that there, these other nations will be present in that judgment. Furthermore, in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, uh, beginning verse 30, at the times of these ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised right. him from the dead. Closely tied to that in verse 32, it talks about the resurrection of the dead, and some were mocking then, and I guess some people are still mocking today. Right. Absolutely. Hey, Jeff, I got an interesting note here that I, I, it just kind of jumped off the page at me. Here's a thought, this one writer says. When Paul defended his case before the Roman governor Felix, he spoke of the judgment to come. And yes. the, and the Jewish, I mean, the Roman governor Felix was terrified. Acts twenty four verse twenty five. Now think about that. Paul spoke of a judgment to come, and Felix was terrified. Here's the question: Why would a Roman be terrified with reference to the impending destruction of Judaism when he would be on the winning side, not the losing one? Right. So that's a good question. Yeah. I thought about that. Yeah. Well, should we should we just blow off the the last break here to cover make sure we cover the points or should we take a break? Let's take a quick break and we'll be back and we'll try to wrap this up in All the right. last 15 we minutes. We have time to take your calls or your emails. Join in the program now. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue after these messages. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello everyone, I'm Wade Shelton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of rumors about what the Church of Christ is all about. But regardless of what the rumors you may have heard, let me just quickly tell you what we are about. The College View Church of Christ is simply a group of Christians that is committed to doing everything that God has commanded us in exactly the way that He commanded us to do it. So we just simply open our Bibles and study them to determine what God has commanded us to do, and then we try to do it. It's just really that simple. Are you interested in being part of a group of people who have this approach to serving God? If so, I hope you will join me and my family as we worship God with the College View Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program as we talk about the AD 70 doctrine, and that is that uh, the doctrine is basically that every prophecy in the Scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus has already come, and he will not come again. The judgment of the world has already taken place, and uh, everything you read about concerning Christ's coming has already occurred, and you should not look forward in the future. We're looking forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeu.com. Anthony's running the controls tonight. 
And, Anthony, you've been listening to the discussion and have uh, some observations. Right. I have I first have to issue a disclaimer that I haven't studied this in, in, in depth by any stretch. A lot of this is the first I'm hearing of it tonight. But just on the surface, you know, it, I'm, it seems like there are some, definitely some big questions to be raised, and it seems like there have to be some pretty acrobatic interpretations of some passages, uh, seemingly. So my question sort of is, you know, What's what's the purpose? You know, why? What's the impetus yeah, behind? Uh, right. Why? What? Why are we trying to trying so hard, seemingly, to put this to force this doctrine into the Bible? What's the you know why? What's the end game? Uh, Jeff, uh, you have any comments on that based upon your study? And uh, no, that's the question I've got. I mean, what, what is the purpose for believing such a doctrine? Uh, there's no biblical uh, support. For that, and that's really one of the first questions that would need to be uh, asked and answered and thought about: is if I believe this, and what you know, why am I believing this, or why am I entertaining this doctrine? That's well, a good question. You know, Jacob made a point earlier today when we were talking. If you put on, if you put on your your rose-colored glasses and you read everything, if you read these texts with that with that slant or presupposition. Pre, you know, in other words, you, you can. And again, do some serious redefining of terms. You can you can force a lot of these verses if you want to take literal statements and make them figurative, and figurative statements and make them literal. You can you can force these things into that into that mold if you try hard enough. Uh, and I, I think that some of that's taking place. I, I think there's some good and sincere people who are who are. Uh, Sympathetic to this view, who are who are doing that very thing? Uh, they're 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 reading these texts that we many of the ones that we've talked about tonight with sort of a a a, a, a tint on their glasses, if you will. Uh, Jeff, quickly uh, as we are running out of time, uh, okay. one of the final things that you've noted as a, of their beliefs is the the idea of the end of time. They don't believe right. that the world will ever end. I, I assume, correct? Well, I guess they. <laughs> I guess they'd have to believe that, but again, the 70 AD advocate will say, well, the end of time that the scripture talks about, well, it's figurative. It really had to do with the end of the Jewish system, not the literal end of the world. And if a person uh, adopts that thinking, then he's got some real problems with Second Peter 3 and verses that come up in that, in that chapter regarding uh, the end of time as we would know it or the end of the created world. So if that be the case, if this doctrine be, be true, then one of the questions I would ask is, all right, then as we read the New Testament, then when would eternity ever begin? Yeah, and that, that's my question, and I'm not clear. I've done a lot of reading on this. I, I don't feel like I'm a, a, an expert by any stretch of the imagination on what's being taught here, but my big question, my big confusion is regarding what happens to us now. If, if, all, if all the things that we've been talking about were fulfilled and final in 70 A.D., what happens now? Uh, and I, I don't have a good feel for what they're teaching on on that particular aspect of this doctrine. But you know, I, through the years, I've used Second Peter three, beginning uh, verse nine down through verse twelve, where you read earlier, Jeff, mm-hmm. uh, in discussions with Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that this world will never be destroyed. Right. Uh, and and I I take it that these folks are teaching the same general thing but that passage very clearly talks about the very elements that compose the physical universe are going to melt with a fervent heat uh, the earth and the works that are in the earth will be burned up 
Uh, it talks about the heavens being on fire and being dissolved, the elements melting with fervent heat. If 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 you wanted to say this physical universe is going to be destroyed, how could you say it any clearer than that? I don't know either, Greg. Uh, clearly, verse ten: the day of the Lord will come. So that's the coming of the Lord, the the the, the day of the Lord. And so if that be the case, then would they say that, well, that's going to require then a third coming? Would this passage be, would it require another coming of the Lord? But the Bible only says that it's going to be just two comings of Christ, and they both have, uh, one has already occurred, but the second one, of course, has, has not occurred. Yeah, I, I, I think, if I've understood some of the things that I've read, that these folks are teaching that heaven now exists, maybe right here on earth, and that hell is no longer a reality. Some of the things I've read suggest that they do not believe in a a literal hell. Uh, I don't know. Again, I'd have to talk. uh, And and I want to be careful here. I want to be fair. I'm not saying that everybody who holds to some of these tenets holds to them all. I think there's a lot of variation. I think people have a lot of sort of hybrid views where they take some parts of this and some parts of that. Uh, So uh, if you're listening and, and, and you have some leanings in the direction of the 78D doctrine that we've been discussing tonight, but we're not trying to put words in your mouth, and we're not trying to say that you believe all of this. We're just saying we're just trying to point out some what we believe is some real complications that the doctrine poses. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. You hurry, we can get your call in tonight, or send an email to questions at collegeu dot com. Uh, Keith in uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee, uh, answered the question: Do you think that the destruction of Jerusalem in eighty seventy accomplished the full and final fulfillment of biblical prophecy? He says, absolutely not. Note that the scriptures say the following concerning his coming: Every eye shall see him. He will come in the clouds. He will come with the sound of the trump. The dead in Christ will be raised. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. We will forever be with the Lord. None of this has happened, he says. So his answer is no. We got an email from Wade in Hampshire, Tennessee, who says most of the uh, most of the doctrine that I've heard dealing with AD seventy, the folks, uh, their fo- these folks revolve around the belief that there's no more ages to come. Ephesians two seven says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of the grace and it, uh, of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. This verse talks about different ages. Luke 21 is clearly talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which was accomplished in 70 A.D. I'm not sure if Jesus came back then or not, but there was something special that happened. We believe that. We're not denying that Jesus came in judgment in 70 A.D. The question is, was that his final coming, and was that the end of time? Let me read. It just doesn't fit with the descriptions that we were given of that that final judgment. Yeah. Let me read some good thoughts from our friend Brad uh, down in North Alabama. Uh, Concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, did that accomplish the full and final fulfillment of biblical prophecy? Uh, Was it the ultimate and final coming of Christ? Here's what he says. No. The main reason is 1 Corinthians 15. Those who, uh, Max King and those who think as he does teach that the resurrection is not a bodily resurrection. First, 1 Corinthians 15 really only makes sense in light of a bodily resurrection. Verse 15 reads that Christ became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, what follows first, first fruits? Fruits of the same kind. Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Christ's resurrection was a bodily resurrection. To be of the same kind as Christ, the resurrection that follows his must be a bodily resurrection too a resurrection that has not yet taken place. Verse 26 reads that the last enemy to be destroyed will be death, 
Death is obviously still around, so the events Paul prophesies in 1 Corinthians 15 have not come to pass. Oh, good point. If the A.D. 70 doctrine is correct, then Christ no longer reigns because verse 24 says that Christ has handed the kingdom over to the Father. But the end cannot yet be because Christ has yet to put an end to all authority and power, according to verse 24. Add to that Second Peter 3, where Peter says that the same earth that God destroyed with water in Noah's time, he would destroy with fire along with the heavens at some future date. Peter's not being figurative here. They are the same heavens and earth that's right. in both situations okay. so far as Peter is concerned. Okay, excellent. And that's the that's point that a lot of people make, Jeff, about the, the Second Peter three passages, that that was a, a figurative expression of, of God's judgment. But, as Brad mentioned there, uh, it was literal in Noah's day, and the, the same is going to be true of the final de- destruction. If you follow the text, that's clearly what he's saying. That's a good point. Uh, right. and, yeah. in Re- Jeff, one other verse that was came to my mind, uh, in Revelation chapter 20, when I think the Lord is describing the final judgment, he said, I, uh, Revelation 20, verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Um, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. One of the questions I have, and I've never received a, what I feel is a satisfactory answer, is what it says there in verse 14. Death, at this final judgment scene that I think is described there, death itself uh, is done away with. Well, we're, st- uh, we're still obviously in a realm where death is a reality. Well, that suggests the end of death uh, at that final judgment. Quickly, Jeff, we've got to, you've got a few miscellaneous problems that you see with the doctrine that we should review before. Yeah, we, we spoke about the Lord's Supper uh, perplexity earlier, and there's one other thing that, that I think needs to be thought about. If if a person is entertaining, you know, this this doctrine, maybe they already do. One question I would have is, you know, what what comfort or hope is provided if uh, if a person believes this doctrine? If, if, say, like, for example, uh, many would believe uh, faith only or once saved, always saved. I un- understand what, why people would, would believe those doctrines. They do provide some comfort and some hope. I don't believe those doctrines to be true, but I can understand someone accepting those and getting some measure of comfort from them. But if this doctrine is true, where is the comfort? Where is the promise that's, that's been made to us if all these things have already taken place? That Again, that cries out for another answer that the Bible just uh, cannot answer. Yes, it does destroy uh, the, the hope and the comfort of Christ's coming uh, that we should be looking right. for. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right. Um, well, it, J- Jeff, as we look at this doctrine, it really does redefine the, the whole scriptures. And as you uh, point out, it puts the focal point on AD 70 rather than uh, roughly AD 30 when uh, uh, we believe that Christ's crucifixion is uh, the focal point of the Scriptures, it really focuses the, the Scriptures on AD 70, doesn't it? Yes, and the, and if one starts even at Genesis, when the first Messianic promise is, is made, uh, the focus has always been the coming of the, well, the, the Lord's, of course, His death and His resurrection, but then the start of this great kingdom that, is, that has been always in the mind of God, it's His eternal purpose. So the focus is AD 30, not AD 70. Okay. 
I, I, I appreciate your study on this subject, Jeff, and I appreciate your willingness to, to be on the program tonight to, to help us explore some of this. I think it is a very complicated uh, subject. I think it's a deep uh, study for sure. We've, we've had to give it a cursory view. And again, for instance, uh, our, our friend Mike sent us a, a very long document that just clearly we wouldn't have time to deal with on, on the air. But... Uh, I guess uh, what what I would like to to leave people with is that there are some very if this doctrine be true, there are some very troubling questions that must be answered, and they, and you have to be careful that, that in answering those questions you don't end up just redefining terms and and right. and twisting scripture in order to get it to fit. Uh, this peculiar doctrine. So, uh, and there's been an accusation in the chat room that this has been a slanted presentation tonight, and we're presenting our understanding of it. We don't want to be slanted or uh, rule out anybody else uh, making a, uh, you know, presenting their view. So, if you'd like to contact us, uh, we we would be open to study with you. We're not trying to uh, just uh, shut you out. We'd like to have a discussion with you. If, well, if you're uh, yes, and understand we're not. As I said several times during the program, we're not trying to suggest that everybody who has some feelings about 70 AD and some leanings in the direction of what Max King teaches necessarily believes everything that Max King wrote about or that others teach on that subject. We're not trying to stick everybody into the same cubbyhole, but we just need to understand that this doctrine is out there. People are talking about it. Uh, and as with all things, we have got to we've got to harmonize all of the scriptures. They they have to fit together perfectly. We can't force uh, uh, an interpretation that is contradicted by other plain statements of scripture. And one of the rules of Bible study that we often emphasize is on difficult subjects and difficult passages. Let other passages that are clear and simple to understand help you in understanding the ones that are more difficult. And if we do that, then then that will go a long way to understanding the Bible text. All right. Jeff, thanks for your time tonight. We really appreciate uh, your Thank you all for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, we appreciate you uh, for being here. Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you, Anthony, for uh, manning the controls tonight. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. And thank you for being on the other end of the program tonight. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime... We encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.